not just jet out the door after uh, service is done, but to stop by Guest Central. Um, and in exchange for a little bit of information about you, we've got a gift we want to give you. Uh, that's where you can get all of your questions answered about what's happening here. And if you're newer to the church and you've been around maybe for a little while, but you're thinking that it's time for you to get your next, uh, you know, take your next step here, whether it's in serving or joining a community group, um, go ahead and sign up and you can do this all in the app uh, for Circle Up. We run it two weeks. It's Circle Up and Circle Out. The first week is about community. The second week is about serving. You want to be there for both. Next Sunday is when we start at it again. It's the first and second Sunday of every month, um, and it starts here at 9 a.m., and we have donuts and child care, and it's a lot of fun. So join us for that. Uh, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Daniel, and we are looking particularly at work. Um, if you missed last week, we kind of started talking about some different concepts and some different things, but the operating principle is pretty simple. It's that work is good. It was given to us by God. This is not a punishment for us to have to work or to do things. Uh, it is actually what we were designed and created for, and God is inviting us into it. And so what we need to do is find a way to claim work as something that is good, is holy, uh, work as worship. This is a lot of the concept that, that this series is trying to explore. And we're doing that by looking at the life of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they navigated a very secular workplace uh, still to the glory of God. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to get caught up. Uh, you can catch that at several different places, but, but join us for that. Uh, today, we're looking at how we can start to claim our work as sacred. Really, I started thinking about, like, jobs. There really isn't a job. There's not a, well, there's not a lot of jobs that aren't, like, holy, sacred, and good. Um, assassin probably is not, you know, pro probably not. Like, you probably can't say, like, I'm an assassin to the glory of God. I mean, we could navigate that maybe later, but I— Drug dealer, probably also not something we would say, yeah, I'm a drug dealer to the glory of God. Uh, I work uh, as a health insurance claim manager. Um, that's probably also, um, you know, not a, a godly vocation. Sorry. Um, got a couple others, but the point is this. The list is short. The list is short. Most of us don't need to change vocations. We need to embrace vocations. So here's some of the terms we've talked about. Uh, we've got this term, sacred. This is what we think of when we think of church. It's something holy, not associated with the world. Uh, it is sort of behind the church um, or inside of the church, behind sort of the, the stained glass. Secular, this is something worldly, not associated with God. This is the word we generally think of when we think of work. Uh, and if you were with us last week, we talked about how these two terms were originally used to describe priests. Uh, priests who were sacred priests were those that were inside of a monastery. Secular priests were those who were in the world. But the point is that they were both priests sent uh, on a mission to share the gospel. Uh, today I want to introduce one other term, and that's this word. It's sanctified, something that's ordinary, uh, but it's set apart. It's dedicated to God's purpose. So sanctification takes something that is ordinary and sets it apart for God's purpose. It sets it apart for the purposes of God. 
that's what we're going to try to do and look at with work, is how do we claim what is ordinary, uh, what is secular, and how do we sanctify it so that it becomes something that is spiritual. Our theme verse through all of this is Colossians 3. Why don't we say this one together? Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to take this, this concept, which is sanctification of work, and apply it to every career and vocation. We can do anything. I mean, we can sanctify just about anything. Here this morning, we've chosen to worship from 1030 to about 1145. And we have said this time is sanctified. It is set apart for the purposes of God. It is set apart to worship God. But what would happen if next week we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to set aside the time from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Is it not holy anymore because that's not the time we normally worship? Does it all of a sudden become like unsacred, unsanctified because it's not the time that we're accustomed to? Absolutely not. Anytime we choose, we say we're going to set this time aside. We're going to make this time sacred, holy, dedicated to God. That becomes holy, sacred, sanctified time. We can do this in any place. How many of you uh, are worship music people in the car? You like to listen to the worship music in the car. Got a lot of hands. Good. Yeah. So when, when you've got that worship music on, I, I know some of you have told me, man, I have some of the most worshipful moments in the car. Uh, you are dedicating that drive to the Lord. You're dedicating that time to God. That time is dedicated to God in a time when you're rocking out to ACDC, uh, perhaps is not quite as sacred, you know? Uh, the worship music, what, what is it that changes? It's not the speakers, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the focus. I'm saying in this time, I choose to worship God. Same thing, some of you are in the habits of reading scripture and praying at home. Some of you do it in the evening, some of you do it at night. Uh, what sets that time apart? It's, it's you. You set that time apart. You say, this moment, this time, this activity is going to be sacred. I'm going to set it aside for God. Same thing with meals, right? Um, a lot of people have uh, misunderstood this idea of praying before a meal. Like, is this just a ritual? Is this just a rote? Here's what I find so interesting. Jesus, in his temptation, is tempted by the devil to do what? To turn stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's, here's I think, the concept. As we pray before a meal, what we're saying, Lord, is, is turn this into something that will truly nourish us. God, if you're not here and present in this moment, it doesn't matter what it looks like or smells like, it's just gravel in our mouths. God, we want this time, this moment, this food, these conversations to be sacred, to be holy. What transforms that food? What transforms that meal? What transforms that time? It's our decision to do that. It's our decision to make it sacred, to give it to God. This can be true in our vocations, whatever your vocation is. I've, I'm married to a teacher. I've talked to a lot of teachers uh, who have said, you know, things have been a little challenging uh, since COVID and through COVID. Uh, and I've heard several say, you know, I, I embrace this as a ministry. They embrace that work as holy, as sacred. Now, it, it can be any job. I don't know what your job is. I know what some of you do for a living, but I don't know what all of you do for a living. You can embrace that as sacred. 
you can embrace that as holy. Now, within our church tradition and many church traditions, the only people that sort of get ordained into positions are ministers. But if you are a Quaker or come out of the Quaker tradition, when you start to come of age and you get ready to take on a vocation, whether that's going to be an electrician, a plumber, a truck driver, uh, a salesperson, you're going to work in corporate America, you're going to run spreadsheets, you go before your church's discernment committee and you talk with them and you say, this is what I feel God is calling me to do with my life. And they will discern that with you and they'll pray over you and they'll put their hands on you and they'll say, this is what we think God is calling you to do. And they embrace that work as holy, as sacred, as worship. Friends, this is what we want to do. Daniel finds himself working in what we can say is a very secular environment. He is a magi in training. He's probably about to be done with his training in the text we're looking at here. Now, the magi of the Babylonians, it's an interesting group. It's half astronomy, half astrology. Okay? It's a little bit of both. It's half you know, being a chemist and the other half being an alchemist. It, it is part science, part folklore, part superstition. Uh, they are both forecasters and fortune tellers. That's the group that Daniel finds himself in. And it's problematic for them when they've hyped up a bunch of promises to the king and they can't deliver. Uh, let's, let's look at the text here. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, this would be the magi, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, to tell him what he had dreamed. Not what the dream meant, but what he had dreamed. And so you can imagine how this goes. They come in, they stood before the king, and he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king says, No, this is what I've firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces, and your house is turned into piles of rubble. Okay, let's just pause for a moment. I don't know what you think about your boss. Some of you see where this is going to end up. Um, I imagine, you know, we talk about like deadlines, like, oh, I missed my deadline. You're still alive. Um, this is what we would actually call like a real deadline. Like if you don't make it, he's going to cut you to pieces and turn your house into a pile of rubble. This is not a vain threat. This is like common practice. Uh, they actually like to take a beam out of your house and impale you with it. I mean, this is, you know, old school, but uh, this is very much King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, plan. So the next time you're complaining about how difficult your boss is, and you're like, man, I'm going to get fired. Uh, later, we're going to see he really will fire some people. Um, so this is, this is what we're dealing with. He's saying to these astrologers, listen, I don't want the mumbo-jumbo. I don't want the folklore. I don't want the superstition. If you can really do what you say you can, you should be able to tell me my dream and what it means. And they say, uh, no way, man. Now, he does give some promises. He's got some rewards. He says, if you do this, you get gifts, rewards, great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Um, that's where Nebuchadnezzar is. Here's the thing. Work presents us with very consuming and stressful tasks, right? Can, can we get an amen from that? Have you ever experienced uh, stress uh, in your job? Absolutely. 
You know, I talk to a lot of people at different seasons in your work. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, a quarterly thing that you're trying to finish up. You want the month to end well. You know, uh, profit is down. You know, you can't find people to hire. These things consume you. They can take up your thoughts. They can trouble you. Uh, these wise men, imagine how consumed they are with their work at this point in time. They know they're about to die if they can't deliver. This is a real problem. And so now we find that there's this stress that comes from work. So how do we embrace this? Because I think a lot of times we view stress as something that is negative. And certainly there can be a high level of stress that we go, man, this is not healthy. It's not good. But a little bit of stress, what's it do? It pushes us. Uh, it's good stress. It's not distress. It's like some people call it eustress. It's useful stress. It's helpful stress. It pushes us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know who he was. He was uh, active in the resistance church in Germany uh, during the time of Hitler. And he wrote a lot about work because he had a lot of folks living within these communities within this resistance movement. And he told them, he said, work is really good. He said, work is good because here's what it does. It focuses your thoughts and your minds. You know, if you've ever had a, a time where you've maybe been sick, you've You've been stuck around the house. You start to get a little cabin fever. You start Your mind starts to run away, and you start to think on things that are maybe not productive. Uh, if you're a worrier and you're just sitting around, this is not healthy. It's time to get to work. Many, many, many years ago, I had this guy uh, that was constantly calling me for, for to meet and to talk about stuff going on in his life, and, and uh, it became apparent to me that he just had way too much time on his hands. And so one day he called me and said, hey, I really need to talk. I need some help. And I said, you know what you really need to do is clean the carpets here at church. And he said, really? I said, yeah. This is what you need to do. You just got too much time on your hands. You need to be busy. Uh, he said, are you serious? I said, yeah. Yeah, so get down there and get on the business end of that uh, steam cleaner and, and make it happen. And I realized, and he realized that this relationship of us having, having conversations was not going to last long. So um, I referred him to a therapist, and uh, I called the therapist, and I said, hey, I'm bad at my job, I said, because I told the guy to clean carpet, and I didn't want to talk to him. And um, this is, this is rocks me of the world. She said to me, she said, you did that, really? I said, yeah. And she said, I wish I could do that. <laughs> she said, because so many people don't really need to talk. They just need to, like, get busy, go do something be productive, you know, stop sitting around, stop thinking about these things all the time. Work allows us to do that. What would you do with your time if you didn't go to work, right? What would you be thinking about all day long if you weren't working? Diedrich Bonhoeffer got this. He's not the first that got this. Work has sort of been a virtue throughout the church and throughout the faithful for a long time. God said, hey, listen, I'm going to give you six days to work and you get one day of rest. We've tried to bump this into two. I mean, I'm for the weekend. I like that. But, you know, the point is this. God knew we needed to do something with our hands. We needed to be productive. Your grandmother probably told you that idle hands are the devil's workshop. If that's true, then an idle mind is like the devil's Disneyland, okay? That's reality. And the more active and productive and workful we can be, yes, we might say it's stressful and consuming, but we can embrace it and realize that, you know what it's allowing me to do? It's something productive with my time. I'm able to make a contribution, whether it's to your business, whether you're helping other people be employed, or you're helping organize information, you're helping people to make sense of things. This is what's happening. 
You see, work has been embraced not just in secular communities, but in sacred communities. You drive up to the uh, Abbey of Gethsemane, not too far from here. That's where Thomas Merton uh, lived and wrote. Uh, they have two words in their motto. They have this memorized. It's in Latin, so it sounds cooler, but here's the words. It's prayer and work. They say, what are you, what are you about? You ask them. We're about prayer and we're about work. That's what we do. We pray and we work. Friends, that is the motto, I think, of, of all of us. Because we're going to be people of prayer. We're going to be people of work that contributes. So we've got to embrace this. And we can embrace this. And we can look for the good in each of those moments and say, you know what? Yes, it's stressful. But it is consuming my thoughts in a way and channeling them in a place that can be productive. Second thing is this, is prayer enables us to embrace our work as an act of worship. Now, Daniel's confidence in God gives him an incredible amount of courage. We're going to see that here in a second. You know, because this, this decree to destroy the wise men has been issued. They start to look for all the wise men. They find Daniel and his friends who are probably not full wise men. They're junior wise men. They're probably still in wise man you or whatever it was called. Um, and instead of sort of getting, you know, thrown under the bus, he says, you know what? No, I think God is going to allow us to do this. I think God is going to give us the strength to do this. And so he takes this consuming, stressful task, and he's going to embrace it. And he says, you know what, I, I think we've got this. Here, let's look at the text. This is when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Uh, some of us could use both of those things. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You see, Daniel sees this crisis moment in his job, and let's not forget that is his job, and he views it as an opportunity to invite God into his work. What if we did that? What if we looked at our work, and when we face those stressful moments, those deadlines, those crises, those, those places where it doesn't seem like it's all going to add up, and we said, God, would you step into this moment, and would you show up in some way? Now listen, don't hear me saying God's always going to deliver this. You know, you're always going to make this money. You know, you pray, you give, whatever, and you get this check in the mail. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I think we would see God show up in our work in surprising ways if only we would invite him to do that. If we would say, God, would you sanctify my job? Would you sanctify my work? Would you allow it to be an act of worship to you? That's what we need to do. What if we came into work on Monday morning? So let's talk about tomorrow. What if you went to work tomorrow and you said, God, I'm going to give you today. I'm going to give you my work. I'm going to give you my labor. I'm going to give you my conversations. I'm going to give you my productivity. And I want you to look at all of this, God, as an act of worship because I'm going to do this for you like that Colossians verse says. I'm going to do this for you, not for anybody else. So God, when I'm working today, I'm doing it for you. How would that change your mindset? How would that change your attitude? If instead of listening to the radio or the news or the podcast or, you know, sports talk or whatever you listen to on the way in, you took just a few minutes and you said, God, I want to take a moment of prayer to give today to you as an offering. I want you to be glorified by the things I say and by the things I do. 
What would happen if you did that? And then throughout the day, as you were stressed or you faced crisis or you faced conflict, you, you viewed that as an opportunity to invite God into it. And you said, God, today I'm giving this to you as an act of worship, and now I'm facing crisis. Now I've got this problem. I'm dealing with this person. Lord, this is an act of worship. How do I worshipfully respond? How do I respond in a way, Lord, that will bring you glory and honor? God, how do I, how do I react and interact in a way that will show that I have put my faith in you? And then what if when we got done with that work and we received the reward for that work, what if it came full circle and we said, God, I now want to honor you by being generous with the money that I have made. And we allow that to become, you know, what a lot of folks talk about is this tithe. This thing, this thing where we say, God, I'm going to give you a portion that I have set out in my mind, and I'm going to give that to you, God, because I want to bless you with my work. Do you see how work, really, if we were to embrace it this way, it, it's a full act of worship. It's in the actions, it's in the speaking, it's in the reward, it's in the fruit of our labor. All of this becomes an act of worship. So how do we do that? Well, it starts with prayer. We want to pray for a few things. One is the challenges that we're going to face. You know, um, it's called work. It's not like called fun. People don't be like, I'm going to go to fun today from 9 to 5. No, I'm going to work today, right? And so there's going to be challenges. There's going to be things in there we don't like. You know, I tell people I love 80% of my job, and I do. And I think that's a really high ratio because I know some people that like love just 20% of their job. And so I feel really fortunate. But, but that's reality. There's stuff in here we don't like. There's things in here that are difficult. So what do we do about that? We pray about it. We say, God, will you take these challenges? This is what Daniel does. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Thank you, I thank you and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Wisdom and power, that's what we need for every job that we've got. You know, this is what Moses tells the Israelites as they're about to go into the promised land. He says, hey, listen, when you plant these vineyards and you get these jobs and you build up industry and business and you start to become profitable, he says, don't forget who gives you the ability, that's the wisdom and power, to make wealth. It all comes from God. Daniel recognizes that. He sees that, and he says, God, I want to give you thanks for that. I want to give you thanks for that. There's another thing I find surprising. This is just a side note. When Daniel is faced with this challenge, he doesn't sit around and just kind of worry about it. He doesn't go, I don't know if God's going to show up. I don't know if God's going to do something. I don't know if, if God's going to come through. He just says, yeah, I got this. Why? It's because I think Daniel, and I know Daniel, and we'll see this later, has a habit of regularly praying. I, I, some people, you know, when they, they speak and you ask them, maybe, could you help us with something? They're like, i got to pray about that. I'm for that. But let me tell you, you can pray about things ahead of time. You know, you can come into a moment prayed up. So that way when somebody asks you something, you can make a decision right then. It doesn't make you less spiritual. In fact, maybe it makes you more spiritual because you've said, you know what, I'm in this constant conversation with God. And so when I face challenges, I know what I'm supposed to do. All right, put that aside. Next thing we need to step into is this, is praying for our coworkers. Pray for the people that work with you. Now, if you're going to school, this all still applies, right? Because school's your job, right? So you've got challenges, tests, exams you're facing. You've got coworkers. These are other students, uh, professors, teachers, uh, whatever life, age, and stage you're in. This all applies. 
We can be praying for those people. Pray for the difficult people. Pray for the people that you like. Pray for everybody that you're going to come in contact with that day. And you say, God, would you show up? You might say, man, I'd love it if God would show up in my office. That'd be awesome. Well, have you prayed about it? If not, maybe that's part of the reason. Pray. Pray that God would show up in these things. Second, pray for opportunities to share your faith. When we pray about something, it gives us the opportunity to glorify God. When we pray and invite God into our work and he shows up, then we have the opportunity to share that with other people. To say, you know what? God has blessed us with this. God has blessed me with this. God has given me strength and understanding in this. D Daniel has got this figured out. Daniel goes in to tell King um, Belt, uh, sorry, Dan he's not, Daniel's Belteshazzar. He's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? This is what the king asked. Remember, he's just previously told them that he's going to kill them if they can't. And Daniel replied, no. Uh, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain uh, to the king the mystery he's asked about. So Daniel looks at the king and says, no, I, I haven't figured this out. No, I, I don't have this one down. He said, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Listen, some of you think that talking about faith in your office is awkward. I think this proves it, okay? I think this proves that it is, in fact, awkward. How did that conversation go? What's the king looking at? They've got plenty of gods in Babylon. Daniel says, listen, there's only one. But, but what, what brings this about? Daniel says, listen, he's the one who showed up. He's the one who's given me this capacity. He's the one who's given me this strength. You know, what would happen if we just sort of like talked about our faith like we, like we believed it? Like if we just said, man, you know, I've been praying for you. If you just told your coworkers you were praying for them. What if you just, as you were faced with a difficult thing, you say, man, I've been praying about this and I'm, you know, I'm still struggling or here, here's what I'm thinking. What if we just invited that in there? You know, we make this so much more awkward than it needs to be. Tomorrow, somebody's going to ask you, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Well, you can say nothing or whatever you did. Um, or you can also say, well, I did this. And you know what? I went to church yesterday, man, and we're talking about work, and it was really encouraging. That kind of conversation, friends, that's all it takes to start a conversation that can be life-changing for somebody. Somebody's going through a difficult thing in, in your workplace. You can say, hey, I, I'm going to be praying for you. I've yet to meet somebody who said, no, I would like you to not pray for me. I mean, I've, I, know, I know atheists, and I've yet to hear one of them say, please don't. Please don't pray. No, I, I'm not praying with them, but I've said, listen, later I'm going to pray for you. And you know what? I, I've, there's the response I get. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. They might say, that's quaint. You know, I don't think it does any good, but I appreciate the thought. I appreciate the sentiment. Friends, if we were to talk about our faith in small ways, like we really believed it and like it meant something to us, guess what? I think we would start to see things happen. We would start to have the conversations we want to have with other people. Why? Because we've indicated that we actually believe in God and that we're living our life in a way that seems to be consistent with that. So, that's the challenge this week, is to pray. To pray about all of these things. I want to put this back up here. And I actually want to take some time to do that real quick here this morning. I want us to hold open a moment of silence, and I'm going to sort of prompt us as we go through this. Uh, whatever.
whatever deadline you're facing this week, let's pray about that. Let's pray uh, for your coworkers. Let's pray for an opportunity to share your faith. And if that sounds too scary, you can just say uh, to, to, mention, you know, to mention your faith. Maybe that's all you want to be able to do right now. I think God will meet you right where you are. But let's, let's bow our heads right now and let's invite God to come into our work this week. God, right now in this silence, we just hold open this moment. And we invite you, God, not into this place. We know that you're here, but God, we invite you into our workplaces. themselves this week, or that we might be laying groundwork for, Lord, where we could just simply talk about our faith and how much you have changed our lives. So, Lord, would you provide us opportunities? Would you provide us the courage to seize them and the tact and wisdom, Lord, to speak into those moments?
going to sing this song. And if you want to pray with somebody, I'm going to be over here. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you've got questions about what it would really mean to invite Christ, not just in your workplace, but to your life, man, I'd love to talk with you. The person who came with you, brought you to church today, would love to talk with you about that. Um, but this time is ours. We want to reflect. We want to give this worship to God and invite him to come and move in our lives this week. Why don't you stand as we sing? Thank you.